0: not coming down. I never liked it on the ground. I'm not down. I want to go higher, higher, higher than This is Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive in Life and Business. I'm your host, Rebecca Fleetwood-Hessian. Hi, I'm Rebecca Fleetwood-Hessian. I am the CEO of a company called WeThrive.Live, my keynote speaker and an executive coach. And you are tuning in to our Future of Work series here on the podcast. I am passionate about the shift that we are in as a society, and I believe it's the greatest shift that we've been in since the shift from the agricultural age to the industrial age model of work, where the work construct has such a significant impact on society. And in 2020, we experienced a global shutdown, global trauma, which led us into years worth of reflection on what success really is and what we want our lives to be. And I believe that we're still in this bit of chaotic shift trying to decide what the right answer is. And what I'm seeing is a much needed and necessary shift to where our sense of worth and our sense of value doesn't come from our achievements and our work title, but comes from us knowing us. And I believe that is the shift that we have needed for some time because the way that we were working was leading us straight to an epidemic of burnout. And while this time of chaotic shift is full of uncertainty and many leaders trying to figure out what is the answer. I wholeheartedly believe that the future belongs to those leaders who are willing to be creatives, who are willing to create the future of work. And I want to be a part of that effort. And so this series is dedicated to interviewing people and asking them, what do you think the future of work could and should be? What problems should we solve? What ideas should we consider? And by doing this series, it will lead us into our own sense of reflection as leaders and as employees. And what do we want? How do we want work to feel? And as we make this shift, I believe as we change the work, we can change the world into a society that honors each of our uniqueness and honors the value that we bring into an organization. So if we can change the work, we can change the world. Because, you know, Making money just ought to feel better. So I'm glad you're here. Today's episode of the Future of Work series is with Kristen Smith, who is a executive coach, consultant. She's someone who cares deeply about connecting organizational strategy with the people. And in the future of work, this conversation will need to escalate around meeting the unique human needs. For a company to thrive. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation with Kristen Smith. Let's go. Kristen Smith, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. We are going to have a robust conversation today about the future of work.
1: Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was thrilled that you responded to my call out on LinkedIn about having this conversation because I know that you are passionate about it and... Mm -hmm. Because of your background and experience in a variety of industries from technology, marketing, healthcare, manufacturing, your view of the future of work spans all of those industries yet has some common needs and challenges from a human perspective. So Mm -hmm. tell our audience a little bit about the kind of work that you've Mm -hmm. been engaged in these various industries so they have context for your perspective. So my
1: background is really in what the people in the world of HR would call organizational development, or basically how do we help our organizations be more effective? And that can be from practical things like improve processes, make a better culture for employees and customers to formal programs, like how do we have a succession program or a leadership development program? But really, I'm all about organizational effectiveness and helping employees have a great experience, helping leaders really execute on their strategy and ultimately drive growth, revenue, and win. Love that.
0: In my experience in working with you over the years in various capacities, What I've always appreciated about your approach and why I think this is really important to this conversation today is you will see it from the big picture. The human experience, their needs, as well as this is a business. This business has a money-making model, in my language. It has goals and expectations. We're not doing things for the sake of just doing them for the employees. We're doing it so the employees can help the organization grow. And I've always just really appreciated your business acumen in that regard because it's often a challenge when someone within the organization can only see their piece, whether it's Uh HR or marketing or R&D, it doesn't matter which piece, but Uh if you can only see your piece, your tunnel vision keeps you from being wildly effective in seeing it through the organizational perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, because at the end of the day, businesses form so that they can meet a need in their market and also be successful. And employees join a company because they a, need to pay rent, need to pay X, Y, Z, whatever it is. But most people today want to work in an organization that they feel good about, are doing good things in their community for the public at large, but they also want challenge. They want to do fun work. They want to work hard, but also play hard. So yeah, I would agree. I think we have to be willing to see th- there's more than one side to a story. And when we're willing to look at those different sides, we can come to the
0: table and find out we have far more in common than we don't. Amen. And this conversation about future of work is something I think about incessantly (laughs) because of the kind of work I do, similar to the kind of work that you've been doing in, in looking at these human dynamics. What I know to be true, and it's over and over again, being shown to me through people's experiences as a coach and the people I talk to as a keynote speaker out across the world, is that in a post-2020 environment, our expectations mm-hmm. of work have forever shifted. Mm-hmm. And whether people are in tune to that or not, it's still a thing. And, mm-hmm. and right now we're in this reckoning period, this chaos period where nobody has figured out the answer of the future of work, but many are trying to go back to what worked in the past because that's what we do as humans. Like We're patterns. We're just like, okay, well, if we all went back to work, that's what worked before. But what we're talking about is creating something that hasn't existed because Uh we've never been in this state of expectation about having work and life and a fully integrated view of this because Mm -hmm. we've never experienced the global trauma of shutdown. And now that Mm -hmm. we've had all of our sense of control rocked to the core to realize we didn't have nearly as much control as we thought we did, and we can do far more from home than we ever believed that we could, now Mm -hmm. people are saying, I'm no longer interested or willing to sacrifice any more of myself in the name of achievement and success and company mm-hmm. needs. So mm-hmm. this is real. And I, I know there are a fair amount of leaders out there that are just hoping and praying that we go back to something that feels comfortable or familiar from the past. Yeah. And I just believe that ship has sailed. And so now we've this opportunity, and these are the conversations that I'm so excited about, is if we're building this thing from the whiteboard clean slate, let's just think about how would we build it? Not recycle patterns of the past, not recycle old programming. What do we need? If you and I were standing in a room with a whiteboard today and we were building an organization, which we both love to do, thinking about its effectiveness, what are some of the things that are on that list of, oh, we've got to pay attention to this? What's on that
1: list for you? To answer that, Rebecca, I feel like we have to acknowledge this elephant in the room, right? And that is this pandemic. But ultimately, the ripple effect of this event in our lives created a lot of trauma for people. And that's not the point of our conversation. But to say- I think it
0: is, Kristen. I I think it is. Maybe that is, right? Yeah. To
1: say, in my experience, going through all that and talking to leaders through that and then after that, There are a lot of people that are trying to find their sense of normal by essentially saying, we got to get over that. It's over. We got to stop worrying about that. And in theory, that's a nice idea. But in practicality, there were periods of time through that pandemic where we literally just didn't know what was going to hit us from one day to the next in a way that we've Not experienced
0: ever in any of our, any of our lives.
1: And I think what I saw happen during that period, really great people, great frontline employees, great frontline managers, senior leaders, even C suite leaders. There are really great people trying to do great work in a really tough situation. So most people don't show up and say, I want to be a a jerk at work today, or I want to just not try today. No, most people really want to be great, and they want to do things that are going to help other people, right? And I think what I saw during all that was this effort to try to cover all the bases, personal, family, job, health parents, kids in school, kids that go to school at home, and just all the things. And it was like, we've heard of this, where we're trying to spin the plates. And that's okay when you've got two or three plates spinning. But when you've got eight or nine plates spinning at one time, you literally can't keep up trying to keep them all spinning. And really coming out of that, Rebecca, I have seen more than ever in my career, and it doesn't matter how many years into what we are now, right? (laughs) But people are exhausted. And I don't even think they know it. And this idea of burnout is more real, I think, today than what we've seen maybe even ever. I mean, we've all been in work situations where we've got somebody that just Gave it 110% for way too long and woke up one day exhausted. But this is as a culture, burnt out, we're almost tired. as an
0: expectation in a lot of ways.
1: Yes. Yes. And not only that, but our leaders in an effort to try to provide some kind of normal, if they're not careful, they're saying, well, I know, but let's just forget about that. Cause it's over. The pandemic is over. So let's just go back to how we used to be and let's just run our business. Right. except that won't necessarily be effective now. Yeah. And so I think by acknowledging that work is human first, our people are human first, and also our leaders are human first. And so we have to start from we are people. Yes, there's a need to have reports. Yes, there's a need to look at trends for future of work in 10, 20 years from now. But in my opinion, one of the things that is missing from the future of work conversation is the future of work is what we're doing about it right now. Future yep. is five or 10 years from now. Future is what are we doing now to keep evolving this thing and build it over time. And maybe there's a need to change how you have things laid out in your building. Maybe there is a need to allow more flexibility with work from home and work in the office and all those things. But to me, the bigger conversation is how are we engaging with each other one-to-one, managers and teams? How are leadership teams doing? How are they modeling the way for their organization to say, this is what healthy looks like in a business where you do great work, but you also have a balance of your personal life and you have time for your family. These are things mm-hmm. that, like you were saying in the beginning, people aren't okay with giving up their family for their job anymore. They Praise don't want to do it anymore <laughs> because they
0: know they don't have to, mm-hmm. nor should we expect them to. Yeah, and you mentioned people are exhausted and they don't even know it. And this is the part for me that the level of expectation has always been prove yourself and work harder. Mm -hmm. And if I do that, if I just keep showing up, there's this reward at the end of it, but there's no end. It's like running a marathon where there's no finish line and there's nobody wraps you in a metallic blanket and hands you a banana and a beer. Like there's just, there's no end to it. And so 2020 put us in this pause button. And in that pause button, there was this collective... I'm exhausted. And we never came out of that I'm exhausted state. And now I think everybody has their individual needs front of mind, where it used to be the company needs were always front of mind. And I was willing to sacrifice all that because there's this reward that's coming that's going to make it all worth it. And now we know there's no real reward coming. And so we have these individual needs. And I explained it to a client this morning and said, it's like everybody is tuned into a different radio frequency now that's based on their own unique, specific okay. needs that they are mm-hmm. trying to harness in and pay attention to and nurture. And there's no collective anymore. The collective used yeah. to be you were either a company person or you were not. And now mm-hmm. it's everybody's an individual. Yeah, and for leaders so who are hoping that they're going to line back up to be a company person, that's not going to happen in the way that people would like for it to. And so I saw an article. I haven't read it yet, but the headline got my attention. It's a Forbes article that says employee happiness is eroding. Here's how managers can help turn it around. Well, first, let me ask you, when you hear that headline, what are some of the concerns or thoughts that come to mind about that headline? I think it's a great title. It's an awesome title. And I'd
1: be curious to read it too. So now that makes me want to go check it out. I think a couple of things. I think the role that a manager plays with their direct reports is critical. And if that is not strong and healthy, there's a ripple effect to that. But on the flip side, if it is strong and healthy, there's a ripple effect to that. And that's where it's that idea about how are you relating together? How are you talking about things together? Are you solving problems? Are you looking at this isn't working? Let's try to figure this thing out. Knowing that nobody has to have the magic answer, it's about talking about it together to kind of uncover it. But I think about, yes, the manager can help solve that. And I think that's true. My concern from where I've sat in different roles, who's taking care of that manager?
0: You see, the manager is just as more exhausted than anybody in the entire yes. organization. And now you've just seen yes. the, the happiness of everybody in that organization is now also their responsibility. That's correct. That's correct. And that that and was, was like, the first thing oh, I thought.
1: They're going to love this. The poor manager, because literally everything rests on their shoulders. And they're the ones that are probably the most burnt out of all. And literally nobody sees it or cares. Because, well, you got to make sure your people do this. And then, oh, by the way, you've got to make sure you get all this back up to us so we know what's going on. And these poor leaders are going, hey, I'm one person. So, I mean, it would be interesting to read that, but I think that's where it comes back to business is human. Relationships are what make work fun. It's what makes work challenging in a good way. And by saying, hey, our C-suite isn't going to be disconnected from the rest of our business. We're going to know what's going on on our business. We're going to know, for example, you know, look at your CEO. Do they know if their VPs are burnt out? Do they know where they are? Are those VPs checking with their directors to say, hey, where are you? How are you? There's a time to talk about reports and all these things. But first and foremost,
0: how are you? I just logged on with a client today for her monthly session, and she's in the car, which is not how we typically do things around here, you know? And I said, she lives in a big city. Are you stuck in traffic? You want to call me later? And she was like, we need to talk. And I was like, okay. And she said, I'm going to need to engage with you in a new organization. I want to keep working with you, but I put in my notice last Mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. Now." Kristen, based on what you just said about the relationship importance, now, I'm obviously not going to give her name or the details, but this is a Fortune 50, I believe, organization. This is no small potatoes. This is somebody that is managing billions of dollars worth of business. B, mm-hmm. billions. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the top clients that she services. She had the best year the company had had in their history in her market in the history of the company the best Uh year billions Uh of dollars and she left to go to another organization who she never would have dreamed in a million years she would have done because it's a competitor they offered her more money but that's not why she left because in fact her current company countered with she said in A number of hours, an organization who traditionally moves as slow as a snail, as you can imagine, of that size, Uh had approved equity plans and raises and every kind of please stay package known to anybody ever in the history. Mm. So she was like, it was very odd that it takes forever to get anything done. And in a matter of hours, they were throwing these huge packages at me. She said at one point, I was like, am I crazy? She goes, I don't want to work in an organization where... I have great collaboration and relationships with my team, but with my peers, it feels like Hunger Games. And you know where she went? To work with a gentleman that she had worked with in the past. And she said, Working with this guy is the most fun I've ever had doing meaningful work that is hard. Everything you just said, it's hard, Mm -hmm. it's challenging, but it's meaningful. And me and this guy, we vibe. And she's Uh not going to report to him. They're peers. She left an organization with huge amounts of money on the table to go have fun at work, making Uh billions of dollars for a huge organization. Heck yeah. I mean, some of the best roles that I've
1: had, Rebecca, have been some of the most challenging roles I've ever had. But I worked with and for leaders that cared about me as a person first and worked with me to solve these big, hairy beast of challenges. And that is this whole idea of the urgent versus what's important. And great leaders know how to quiet the sound of the winds of urgent to get to the heart of their people and prioritize the important so they don't lose them in the process. And so here's this girl that has done amazing work with this other leader and is saying, hey, yeah, if it was all about money, I could stay at that company. And yes, we want to be paid well. Of course we do. We should be paid well. But it's not just about money. It's about that joy of working with people that you actually want to work with and they make you better and you make them better. You can challenge each other in a productive way and you end up with these third alternatives that in and of yourselves you wouldn't come up with. But that's the fun of great work is that it is challenging, but it allows room for creativity It allows room for trying and failing and trying again. And in our post-pandemic world, a lot of folks are going to have to take a step back and say, wait a minute, am I creating an
0: environment for my people that allows for that? Am I creating an environment that isn't profitable or challenging? Like, I think there's this misnomer that we need to give people a break or make it easy or That's not at all what you're saying. No, no, not at all. Make it challenging, but in a healthy way, not a Hunger Games way. Right. Well, and that's what I was kind of getting
1: to was we need environments that are authentic and safe. Now, safe doesn't mean everybody's nice, because in all reality, everybody being nice is not authentic. That's fake. It's where everyone is authentic and they're able to bring their real ideas to the table, and talk about them, and challenge each other in productive ways to create these neat ideas that actually change how work moves forward. And so you're right. It's not about, let's make it easy on everybody. In fact, most of your people don't want their job to be too easy. They want to have some kind of challenge to tackle, right?
0: But Um, not an unrealistic expectation as the challenge. The challenge can't be, I have 120 hours worth of work expectations thrown at me every week because nobody's done the math on what's real.
1: Yeah that's yeah.
0: not the kind of challenge we're talking about.
1: Well, and I also think and this is not popular opinion, Rebecca, but I feel like some of the best leaders that I've ever worked with in four refused to allow me to be at a hundred percent capacity all the time. There were times when that was necessary. But they had this understanding that I need to create some kind of space for my people for those unexpected projects that come up through the year instead of effective January 1st, 2024, I'm already at 110%. And I haven't even gotten into all the goals and the things that I'm going to try to uh-huh. accomplish this year. And oh, by the way, while I'm doing all this, I'm also going to be asked to do this project, that project, and don't lose sight of all the other things. And that's when you
0: got eight and 10 and 12 plates spinning and you can't. You don't have the capacity to do anything other than maintain and try to keep a couple of those plates spinning, let alone grow. And that's where
1: I feel like, and this is the unpopular thing that I'm going to say, but good leaders take a look at what's going on and say, you know what? We want to accomplish amazing things. And they should. They're leading an organization. That's how they should be thinking. But they should also be thinking how do we sequence things in such a way? so that maybe these are the things we focus on in the first half of the year. And then, depending on how this is going, then we look to take on different things in the latter part of the year. So that way we're not trying to do all 12 things at once, we're giving people time and space to tackle things. And then as they get these things done, then we start to look at more and more and more. And so I think it's about saying, how do we look at this differently? Because we still have to make money. We still have to be successful as an organization. Otherwise, none of us have jobs. But that doesn't mean we have to look at it the same way we always have. So how do we sequence it differently? This is a common one I've seen. And it's simple, but it's almost like a, huh, why don't I think about that more? It's little things like, what are the weekly reports that people send out that literally no one looks at? It's Why are we doing it, right? Or maybe this was a group of people that started meeting monthly on a particular topic, and a year and a half later, they're all showing up at the meeting, nothing ever comes of the meeting, and they talk about the same things over and over and over with no actual movement or momentum. Then, okay, somebody has to be willing to wave the white flag and say, we don't
0: need this anymore. And have a safe place where you can say that and the boss doesn't take offense.
1: Yeah. Or even the people in the room to say, hey, I care about you a lot and I want to stay in touch with you. But I also have other things I could do with this hour meeting once a month. So Mm -hmm. I think it's about saying, let's look at the stuff we're doing. And what of this could actually either A, be done differently, or B, is no longer the best use of our time. And it actually makes you a smart leader because then your people
0: are saying, oh, thank God. You know what, though, Kristen? And I know you experience this because you do the similar work. My biggest concern about the future of work is that not many leaders have the gift and talent of creation. They're typically people who can go make something that exists better. Mm-hmm. Sure. And those that are gifted in creation, many of them left the workforce to either start their own thing, gig economy of some sort, because they liked to create and they were feeling stifled by the organization they were in. We as a society, we don't respect creators as much as we do people who can maintain, execute, check things off the list. I mean, you can go yeah. as far back as to say, artists, writers, Mm -hmm. musicians. We don't respect creators. In fact, we ask them to work for free Mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. And so I worry that there's not enough creation-minded leaders who are willing to stand at the whiteboard and create something that doesn't currently exist because they're so connected to a board or I don't think public companies have it shot at doing it this way. That's a whole other conversation for a different day. (laughs) But I do believe that the small and mid-sized business owners don't realize the collective power that they have. And now is the time that I hope they stand up and feel it and see it and take back a lot of the power that they already have.
1: A, I think you're right. But B... I think it goes back to this idea that if we're at 110% capacity before our year even starts, when do we have the time to reflect and think and ask ourselves what's working, what's not? If I could design this whole thing myself, what would I do? We have to give each other space to think. We have to give each other space to reflect. And that starts at the top. So CEO, head Freds of their functions should be saying, I'm gonna take time. And it's gonna be different from everybody. It may be I'm gonna take Friday afternoons and I'm gonna think through the week that I have coming up. And I'm gonna look at that to say, hey, what do I need to do differently? Are there meetings that I can maybe shape in a different way or whatever the case may be? But then all the way down and empower your leaders that are running your business for you, empower them to have space to do that themselves? How do you get these creative ideas? Because a lot of times, you know, our leaders may not have that strong creator gene going on and that's okay. But I can tell you more likely than not, people on their team can think that way. And that's where it comes back to what we were talking about a little bit ago. And that is, We need to be talking to our people. If there are processes in your company that aren't working, get your people in a room and say, hey, if you could design this thing yourself and make it be what you think it needs to be, I'm going to give you an hour and you throw this thing on a whiteboard. And when I come back, I want to see what you think. Now, I'm not telling you you're going to get 100% of what you want. Tell me what this thing could be if you weren't asked to somehow do some continuous improvement idea, let's create it and let's go from the ground
0: up. We've just tapped into something you and I talk about and we talk about on the podcast a lot, which is you can't access the creative part of your brain no matter what your skill set is in a state of frenetic, busy pace. Like that part of your brain shuts off. So in order to create... From a nervous system perspective, you have to give yourself the space. I've created tools for a daily stillness practice, a weekly reflection practice, and a monthly clarity day. And some people now are reaching out to me and saying, hey, can I get a copy of that monthly clarity day? Because they're in such a state of, I can't continue this life anymore. They're feeling desperate. But also, the number of people that still, when I say, hey, a monthly clarity day is really the key. Just think, how am I going to ever take a day a month? And no matter how often I say, I'm not asking you to go to the amusement park once a month. I'm asking you to sit down and look at the business, not just being whipped around in the business. Let's work on it. Let's look at it. It's not really a break from work. It's a different kind of work. And we just don't have a lot of respect for reflection Mm -hmm. in the business world. Well, and I think
1: sometimes in all fairness to these leaders, they're being asked to do so much that they feel guilty Mm -hmm. to take that time. I don't know, maybe it was two years ago now. I started doing this at the beginning of the day, this meditation thing. And I mean, when you first start doing it, it feels all kinds of weird and wonky and Am I really sitting here right now? What's supposed to happen with this, right? And you have to allow yourself to feel uncomfortable so that you can get comfortable and then start seeing the benefit of it. And I think that's true for our leaders. The first couple of times they do it, it may feel really uncomfortable. So maybe it's saying, eventually I want to get to that one day a month, but to start, I'm going to take from 3 to 4.30 on Friday every other week. And I'm just going to give myself that space. And it's starting with small steps to feel within yourself that what comes out of me from doing this and practicing this is actually worth the time. Yes, But we have to quiet the noise and Kudos to these leaders because they're working their tails off and they're doing great things. So hats off to them for what they're doing. But to keep from getting burnt out and to keep fresh ideas, because the business is always looking for what are the fresh ideas that we haven't thought of yet. And I think a lot of the leaders without meaning to struggle with this, and that is maybe you're not the one that needs to solve it. Maybe you need to give it to your team and let them tackle that beast. (laughs) I'm going to delegate this to my people and not because I want to just put this thing over the wall to them, but having a conversation and saying, look, I'm going to be honest. In your roles, you see the reality feed on the street in this business. You see what it's like to try to work through our customer process, life cycle, whatever the case may be. So you're going to see things that I don't see. And I want your ideas, and you're literally putting this fresh wind into the sails of your. It's people. challenging,
0: and they get excited because it's challenging. And you know, Daniel Pink says motivation, drive comes from autonomy, mm-hmm. mastery, mm-hmm. and purpose. Like you're giving yeah. them that ability to be motivated. Like I'm in. Yes, language. I think hangs us up. Always, language is how we relate to one another. And there are certain words that have association to them that could be a challenge here. So you said, delegate it to the team. And I think a manager or leader thinks, I'm giving it away. And that's not what you're talking about. You're talking Mm -hmm. about a collaborative effort. You're saying, I'm not really delegating it. I'm saying, we need to collaborate on this. Mm -hmm. I need your mind share. I need your passion. I need your frustration. And so- Go get in this room and show me where all your passions and your frustrations are and really call it something more human. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to come back in the room and I promise to listen without being defensive. I promise to seek to understand since we had a Covey theme going. I promise to be in it with you. Let's do this together instead of it feeling like I threw it over the wall for you to go fix it. And then I'm probably going to judge and say, either you're right or wrong or defend my own ideas. Like Mm -hmm. What we're talking about and what we envision is a much more collaborative effort than the traditional org chart does for us today. And I'm glad you said that, Rebecca, because what we're
1: really saying is, and it gets back to this human-to-human thing, I'm coming to you because I need your help. So it starts with, I'm not delegating this to you. I'm coming to you because I need your feedback. I know you have great ideas. And I would really appreciate you taking a look at this thing. And maybe it is listing out what's the crazy land that's happening that nobody's acknowledging. It's okay to say those things. You're not going to get in trouble if you say, hey, this isn't working. now." Let's say there's also an expectation you need to be productive in how you handle yourself as you're sharing things, right? Yeah. But I think it's saying it's actually a request, not a demand.
0: And it goes back to something you said in the very beginning of this, which was authentic and safe. So for a leader that's willing to say, I need help. That's a vulnerable, authentic statement that has not Mm -hmm. been rewarded enough in Mm -hmm. our business community. Mm -hmm. And maybe that in and of itself, if a leader is listening to this today, could just reflect and say, am I willing to do that? Mm -hmm. What in me would allow that or not allow that and why? Because Mm -hmm. that to me is at the root of the human motivation and behavior that has to be reflected upon in order for you to do any of these as a practice. For sure. And I think it needs to be safe
1: for a leader to say they need different perspectives. And that is saying I need help, but it's saying, you know what, I have my view on this, but I think there's other perspectives that I may not know. I need to understand and then as this team is willing to go there with this leader and say, okay, if you're telling us you're going to give us space to do this, we'll go for it. But to your point, what that means is when the leader comes back and says, okay, lay it on me. What do you have? They have to be willing to listen and fight that urge to say, well, I know that, but here's why that's like that. No, 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 nope, 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 nope. This is where we listen and say, Thank you for your feedback. Tell me more. Help me understand this. That's where that creative flow can happen because we're not being dismissed and told that that's not a good reason because, well, 10 years ago, we tried that and it didn't work.
0: I'm going to just offer out that this kind of facilitation and coaching is the kind of work that you and I do. And it can be so life-changing for a leader to have someone that is safe and authentic that they can come to and say, come in the room and help me facilitate this with my team. I don't know if I can do it because I am so passionate as well that I keep interrupting. And then I know I shut down the conversation and I just don't have the skills yet to do it. Will you help me get better at this? And I mean, when you get that call and you get that opportunity, (laughs) I know you and I are very similar in this, like there is nothing that we love more than to be able to come alongside a leader. I get emotional just thinking about helping them do these things. That's let us help you.
1: (laughs) And we can just say right now, they can call either one of us any day and we're happy to help them for sure. Yeah. And I will tell you, and we both have had this experience where we see this thing happen real time and there is something special that happens when people start to feel free to share their ideas and to start building on each other's ideas and coming up with ideas that they knew was inside of them but they just are so busy trying to do the day-to-day that they just don't get there and that's special and it's true. I mean, not everybody on the planet can necessarily facilitate that stuff. So yeah, feel free to call Kristen or Rebecca anytime. Yeah. That's the kind of thing. We're talking future of work. This is the
0: stuff that should be happening on the regular, mm-hmm. but it takes time. The number of times I've gone into facilitated session and I'll say to the leader, whoever's the top box in the mm-hmm. org chart, and I'll say, look, don't answer first. Let them talk. No need to defend yourself. Let's let it all play out. You have these conversations too. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to have the answer and I'm failing them if I don't. Like, there's all kinds of weird human dynamics in here that they're not because they're bad people or don't want to do a good job. It's just a weird dynamic. Well, and I think that's
1: where we just kind of keep coming back to it that at the end of the day, business is human and no one person has every answer on how to run your business. No one has that, right? That's why you have all these people working in your company. And I think it's easy for a leader to feel like I'm somehow supposed to know what should be happening. It's by collaborating with other people that you start to get a vision for what could be. And then you start to build this thing and then people start to get excited. But it's everybody saying, we're not going to do the status quo anymore because the status quo doesn't work anymore. We've got to do this thing differently. And if you do, I really believe you're going to see this fresh fire in your company that gets people excited and they want to be part of it. And if you've ever been in an organization where you were given the gift of the leader saying, hey, We can talk strategy and goals and all these things, but at the end of the day, here's what we're trying to build. Here's what we see. Will you help us do this? Any employee would love to work in a company like that.
0: Your biggest recruiting problem, if you can crack the code on that, is having so many people that want in that you've got to have somebody that's at the door taking tickets. It's true. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier because I am passionate about it, that I Want the small and mid sized business owner to get fired up, excited about building something different as a means to really tap into the collective power that the small and mid sized business community has. All the books have the examples from the big companies, and Mm -hmm. those don't always translate into the 300-person organization or the 30-person organization. But some of those organizations' revenue is outstanding. And just the collective power of impacting people's lives. I'll have to look it up. I used to know it by heart. But the small and mid-sized business market number of employees is gargantuan in this country. If they can figure it out, there are a lot of people ready to leave big company world and come Mm -hmm. and help you build something beautiful. The fun that comes with that, Rebecca, because I've
1: been in both worlds, right? I've been in the the mid-size organization and I've been in the big enterprise companies. And my heart is going back to this mid-size company these days because you can do more of this person-to-person, human-to-human, but you also have this ability to create and flex and evolve much more fluidly and much more nimbly than you can in the bigger companies. And there's something to be said for the big company, because there's things you can do in an enterprise company that you can't do anywhere else. So sure. not saying that's bad, but yeah, that mid-size, even small to mid size, there's something special in those companies that if a fire gets lit, it takes off. And everybody hears about it. They want to be part of it or they want to somehow be involved with making it really
0: thrive and grow. Oh, my goodness. We could talk about this for days. I love getting on a topic that we're both passionate about. Thank you for being you and for caring about this as much as I know you do. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Rebecca. And thanks for what you do because
1: you're allowing these topics to be surfaced so that we can talk about them Mm -hmm. because they're important. And Like I said, future of work is actually right now. So let's start doing these things because we're all better as
0: humans for it. Authentic, safe, I need your help. Yeah, that's it. Share this episode with whoever needs to hear it and start your own conversations in your organization today. And if you need Kristen or I to come in and help, we're on standby. Yeah, yeah, say the word, we're there. Thanks, Rebecca. I'm not coming down. I never left it on the ground. I'm not down. Thanks for listening to this episode. I would love it if you would go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. And then you can go to RebeccaFleetwoodHessian.com and join the Badass Women's Council. And if you really want to take a deeper dive, join the movement of a thousand thriving women. There's amazing Thrive tools there for you today. Love you, mean it. And I'm not coming down. Hey, y'all. Fun fact. If you like the music for the podcast, that is actually my son, Cameron Hessian, And I would love it if you would go to Spotify and iTunes and follow him and download some of his other music. My personal favorite is TV Land.